Well, good morning. Uh, just a couple of uh, couple of uh, just uh, housekeeping notes that uh, to make you aware of it. Pastor Steve has uh, gone to visit his family in Indiana, and so yesterday afternoon I got a text and said, "Hey, I don't have anybody to take his class. Can we combine them?" So that's why we're all in here today. So that's the first part of the announcement. The second part of the announcement is that. Uh, Next Sunday, we'll all be in here again on, uh, during the Sunday hour because uh, uh, they have planned a question and answer time following the influencers' uh, uh, critique, I guess is what it's being called. Uh, but at any rate, uh, Sunday school hour next, next week is going to be used for those purposes. So next week, everybody will be in here again. So um, I get a week off next week. So yeah, at any rate... Uh, just to, uh, for those of you who are in the, the Psalms class, uh, our class is studying uh, 1 John, and we are in, uh, <clears throat> in 1 John chapter 3. We're actually finishing chapter 3 today, verses 19 through 24. Uh, John, uh, just to, to kind of, if you're not real familiar with the book of 1 John, uh, John is a book uh, in which uh, it was written somewhere in the late 80s AD. John is the last surviving Apostle, he he is the last of the ap- apostolic band. Uh, he uh, uh, this is the first of the uh, well, not counting his gospel, but uh, of his epistles. This is the first of three. Then the Revelation, finally, uh, toward the end of uh, the nineties A.D. So uh, at the time of the writing of this book, which I kind of find interesting, considering what we've got going on here next week, um, is the the, uh, <clears throat> the church had, was beginning to experience what would become the first major heresy of the 2nd, 3rd, and into the 4th century. In fact, it still exists today. It's very prominent in many of the uh, so-called Christian cults that are around today. And it's the, it's the, uh, the teaching of the Gnostics. Uh, basically, uh, at this point, it's called incipient Gnosticism because it hasn't developed into the full-blown heresy it would become, but primarily this, this, uh, this heresy denied that Jesus Christ was both God and man. Uh, it, took a couple, it took several different forms as it developed. The most prominent one was that this guy named Jesus, who was, who was the natural-born child of Mary and Joseph, at his baptism, the spirit of, of the Christ came upon him and then left him at the crucifixion before, before he died. Uh, that, of course, is total heresy, as, as, as I'm sure all of you have been well taught. But nevertheless, that was the primary one that developed out of it. There were all kinds of offshoots off of that. There always are. But that was the primary one. And, uh, 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 and that was beginning to creep into the church when John wrote this book. So much of this book and much of the wording that he uses in this book is, is, to, is to defend the personhood of Jesus Christ. In fact, this book, all the way through it, is, is you, must believe, you must believe that Jesus came in the flesh. This is a, a repeated theme that runs through this book. It's one of its major themes. And we're in a section, we're in a section chapter 3 is a section that, that uh, well, actually the book kind of gives tests uh, to see if, uh, if, in fact, you are a true believer. And John puts everything in black and white, but he does put in the shades of gray because he, he does, he says, 
you know, if you're in Christ, you don't sin. But when you do, you confess it before God and you're forgiven. Uh, so uh, he, he uh, but he puts things kind of in a black and white uh, message. And here in chapter 3, the theme has been love of the brethren. Uh, the, that's a demonstration of our true Christianity is that we love one another. And he, he hammers this, uh, this theme, and it's, it's, it's a big part of the verses we'll be looking at this morning. I, I bring this up because the fact of the matter is one of the things that the, that, well, one, to kind of bring you up to speed on what the book is about, but secondly, is, is that one of the themes of the Gnostics was that they had super knowledge. They had revelation far beyond what you average common little folks in the, in the church have. They were super saints. And in fact, they had even reached the point of being sinless. Part of what we're dealing with with these influencer guys is a guy that claims he has divine revelation. Uh, that's pretty much what the Gnostics were saying without blatantly saying it. Uh, so it's the same heresy. It's the old heresy from 80 A.D., back. Well, it never went away. Uh, but anyway, just so that you keep that. And I would encourage you, before we get into the text this morning, uh, just uh, as a reminder this week that uh, you would keep our leadership and in, in, in the leadership not only of this church, but of the other churches involved with us in this effort uh, in, in fervent prayer, uh, because uh, they, are, uh, they are taking the battle to the door of Satan. And understand it's not going to be an easy one. There's, there's already been a lot of hate mail directed their way. So, so keep them in prayer uh, as, this, as this unfolds. Because they're doing their job. They're confronting heresy, you know, which is what we have to do. We stand on the truth. At any rate, so let's just take a moment and pray, and then we'll get into the text this morning and, and see what John has to say, what the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John has to say for us today. Father God, we, co- we come to you this morning. You know, we come to you thankful uh, that you and your magnificent love through your grace and by your mercy saved us through your son, Jesus Christ. His atoning sacrifice paid the price for our sin, freed us from the bondage of sin, and not only that, made us your children and gave us, gave us an inheritance with Jesus in the heavenlies. And Father, we, we don't even know how to begin to thank you Uh, for how magnificent that grace is. And we just ask this morning, Father, that as we look into this text, this text that's designed, that's, that's given to make us stronger, to draw us closer, to remind us of what it is to be a Christian, is in fact a, 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 are words that we can see where we are in our Christian development by measuring ourselves against it. And that we would ask the Holy Spirit who, who John introduces in this text in his, in his, in his writings, uh, who abides in us. And, and, and we would ask, Lord, that uh, we would be submitted to him this morning as he illumines your word to us. And we would ask that that would be the case here, that he would be our teacher, he would be our guide, he would be our director, that he would draw us closer to you. And we would give you all the praise and thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So this morning we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at uh, at uh, at First John chapter three verses nineteen through twenty four. Uh, this 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 letter 
just as a reminder, this letter uh, is, is to remind believers of the truth that they have been taught, that they know. Uh, the word gnoskos in its various forms is peppered throughout this letter, uh, and it's the word that, that means know. Uh, and in the face, and of course they're in the face of the, the Gnostic heresy, and he is, uh, he is writing to them. In, chapter, in, in the previous, in, in this part, section of the chapter, starting in verse 13, which we looked at last week, uh, he is, embraces one of the ten, ten purposes John stated for writing this book, and, and, uh, uh, and it was to show the reality of personal salvation and, and, and that love for the brethren in verses 13 through 18 uh, would be an indicator of that, and believing in the name of Jesus is the second indicator of that. Those are the things he's talking about. True believers, these are things that are true of true believers. They love the brethren, and they believe in the name of Jesus. That's, that's the idea here. I also want to just call your attention before we get into the text Note the personal pronouns as we run through this, is through this, uh, through this text. Uh, it's we, our, us, those, those kind of pronouns. Because what John is, John is indicating here, what he is saying to us here, is that we as believers in Christ, there are no super saints. We're all believers, equal under the cross. Uh, and he includes himself when he uses these words. And that's what he's doing here. He's calling attention to that fact that, that under the cross, all believers are equal. There are no super saints. And we have to be careful of that. We have to be very careful of that. We have to be careful of idolizing men. Uh, the idea here is our Lord is Jesus Christ. That's who he's wanting to point us to. And so, so just keep an eye on that as, as we go through. So, so we're going to look, first of all, at verses uh, 19 through 20, uh, where where, 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 where he writes to us and he says, By this we will know that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him in whatever our hearts condemns us, for God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Now, if you go into any of the commentaries and you look at it, the first thing the commentators tell you is the Greek is almost impossible here because it's crazy. But anyway, uh, you can bring out what it actually says. Uh, he's, he's calling us back uh, to the two to the to the two previous verses in verses seventeen and eighteen, he says, "But uh, but whosoever has the world's good and sees his brothers in need and closes his heart against him and does not love, and do, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love by word or by tongue, but in deed and truth." He's calling us back to that. That's what he's saying, and he's going to show some demonstration. He, there, he's shown some demonstration of it. That he says, brotherly love not as seen as Cain loved Abel because he murdered him, uh, but it's but it's seen here. It's seen in how the how we respond to each other. That we respond not just saying, "I'm going to pray for you," but that we see what we can do to meet the need, and that we also give words of comfort. Those they go together. Those those are the things that that go together, and that's what that's what he's calling us to here. <clears throat> and he. He and and, if, um, and he is he is he is saying that this love for one another is is a, affects our spiritual life. That's that's the thing he's telling us to. That demonstrates who we are. It demonstrates uh, who we are and, and and how we interact with one another. And then he in verse nineteen he, he he talks about knowledge and insurance. And in verse twenty he's going to talk about he's going to talk about. Uh, God's greatness and God's knowledge. 
That's what he's, that's what he's going to do in these two verses. So he begins out by saying, and by this, <clears throat> by this we will know that we are of the truth. This refers back, of course, to the previous context, love of the brethren. And he says, we will know. And here the word is gnosko, and it means to know, uh, to, to know something. It means to learn something. It means to find out something. Or it can mean to realize, which is actually the case here. Uh, to find out, to realize, to learn. Th- those are really the way it's, it's being used here because it's in a future tense. And what it, what it indicates is we come to know this in our Christian walk. We come to realize this as we move along in our Christian walk. It's talking about the process of sanctification as we're being changed from glory to glory. It's what it's saying here is, as we mature as Christians, this becomes a firmer, deeper knowledge within us. We come to know it. That's, that's the, the idea here. He uses this, he uses this, uh, he uses this, uh, uh, this same construction in 3.10 where he says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Everyone who does righteousness is not of God, as well as the one who does not love his brother. He, he, he's used the word manifest there, and it's, it's the same idea. Uh, we come to realize who the children of God are and who the children of Satan are as we see them living out their lives. That's the idea here. Uh, it, it has the, the concept of a promise based upon an existing reality. Here is the reality. They are the children of Satan in verse 10, and we come to realize that here, here in verse in verse 19, he's saying, we come to realize the truth more and more as we progress in our Christian in our Christian life. That's that's the, that's really the idea this word indicates here. <clears throat> and, and then he goes on to say that we are of the truth. That's what we come to realize. We are of the truth. Literally, it's out of the truth. We exist is the literal Greek construction of those words. Uh, but the idea here is this is what we are learning more and more of as we develop as believers, that the word of God is truth. John seventeen seventeen. sanctify them the truth, thy word is truth. That's, that's the uh, that's the. That's the the context here that he's, he's giving us. He's telling us that we are growing in the knowledge of the truth every day. That's what we should be doing. That's, that's the idea here. It's by God's work uh, that truly converted ones come to realize the process of agape, of love, resulting in, a, a, in ver, which is in verses 14 through 18, which results in be, obedience that was seen in verses 4 through 12 of this chapter. That's the idea here, that we grow in that. We come to know that. We come to understand that. That becomes a part of our person, a part of who we are as believers. Truth here refers to Scripture, of course, but it also refers to and is pertaining to all the truth about the incarnate Christ. Given the context of this book, given the context of the the history which is behind this book, that's the important issue. The person of Christ was being attacked. And he says, we come to know the truth. We know who Jesus is. That's what this is telling us. We we are realizing every day more and more who he is. That's that's the idea. The incarnate Christ is the picture here. 1 John uh, 5, chapter 5, verse verse 20. Uh, John writes... And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, 
in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. That's, that's what we are to be understanding. That's what we are to be growing in knowledge about. First John, or excuse me, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. And the word of flesh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's, that's what he's wanting us to understand. This is what we are growing, growing in. And incidentally, John kind of interchanges uh, the word to know the truth as, as equivalent to being born again. He does that in, in verse 9 of chapter 3, where he says, Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. He's basically equating here, say, if you're born again, this is who we're talking to. People who are truly Christians, pe- people who have tr- truly put their, their trust for salvation in Jesus Christ and in him alone. That's, that's the idea he wants us to understand here. And he says, the result for, there's a result from this. He says, he says, and we will know the truth and it will assure our hearts before him. That's, this is the idea. He, he, he's going on with this and he says, it assures our hearts before him. Uh, there's an assurance in this. You understand, this gives assurance to us of who we are. That, that's what he's, he's wanting us to understand. That's part of what John is wanting to give the, the full meaning behind to these people because the Gnostic movement is shaking their assurance. And he says, we're assured. That's, that's what he wants, wants you to understand. Knowing that we are of the truth, our hearts are assured before him. <clears throat> John tells the believers uh, that, that this knowledge brings assurance in their inner being, in their conscience. That's what he's using heart for here. He's saying inside that institution that God installed in man in his creation, being in the image of God, the conscience. There we know this. It's, it's, it's ingrained into us. Now, it's not intuitive, but it's ingrained into us in God's design. And he, and he says, he uses this word assurance, which is a word that means to persuade. Will persuade is the idea here. The idea is the truth should persuade you to believe and give you assurance. That, that's the idea behind this. The word also can be tra- is translated, and some Greek uh, scholars say it can be translated as tranquilized, which is kind of interesting because in, if you take it that way, and both of these are true, we are persuaded, that is, we are, we are convinced of our assurance because the Word of God teaches us so, but we are also assured because we know we are at peace with God, which is what the, the tranquilized would be. Uh, there is no more hostility between man and God. That's, that's, that's a part of this as well. Uh, so whichever way you take that, it'll work. Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1 at verse 18. This is... Uh, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, uh, and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. 
Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him or give him, uh, or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and foolish in their, and their heart, was, uh, and their foolish heart was darkened. Uh, this is the searing of the conscience by, by man who rejects God. But here what he is talking about is the conscience was to give us evidence that God had to exist. Psalm 19 in the first verses tells us that when we just look at the order of nature, when we just look at the created order, we, it should declare to us there is a God. Uh, because it bespeaks order, not chaos. And that's, that's what this text is saying as well. Man ingrained, or excuse me, God ingrained that into us at creation. That's the idea. Chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Paul writes, For when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, naturally do the things of the law... These, not having the law, are a law unto themselves. In it, they demonstrate the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness in their thoughts, alternately, alternatingly accusing or else defending them. Once again, he's talking about the conscience here, the role of conscience. He says, even the unbeliever knows right and wrong. And that's demonstrated... In fact, it's demonstrated in every country has laws against certain things. It's demonstrated. They understand that, that there is a right and there is a wrong. That's what, that's what he's saying here. He's talking about the conscience here. He says God made man with a conscience so that he could distinguish right and wrong. The problem with the conscience is it's fallen. And he, and he says before him here. And basically he says what he's saying here is, For the believer, the assurance that the truth of the word of God gives us, that's what he's saying in verse 19, uh, assures our hearts before him, uh, assures us that we have an assurance that God is there, he's available to us, the door was opened by Jesus Christ. That's part of what what happened here. Uh, He opened the door. He gave us a clear conscience. Acts uh, 24.16 Paul says that he maintained a conscience without fault both before God and man. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, we have the ability uh, to come before God cleansed. That's the picture that he's painting, painting here. In verse 20, he goes on, he goes on, or yeah, verse 20, he goes on and he says, in whatever our heart condemns us because the heart is fallen, what he's telling us here, he says, the heart is, is fallen, uh, the conscience, the conscience, from time to time condemns you when you do wrong, don't you feel guilty? Isn't that a fact of life? I know it is for me. And he says, he says the conscience will condemn you. It says, you've done wrong. It says to you, John, you messed up. And he says that to all the rest, it says that to all the rest of you, if your conscience is working. That's, that's what happens. He says, you, you've messed up. And you feel guilt over your sin. God calls us to remember Jesus' sacrifice. 
That's what, he, that's what he's going to do here. He's going to call us to remember Jesus' sacrifice. We have peace with God, Romans 5.1. We have been justified. Philippians 4.7 tells us that, uh, that that peace is a guardian of our conscience and minds. We're to remember that. We're to, we're to, that's why 1 John 1.9 was written, that we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to, to forgive us of all sin and cleanse us. That's, that's the idea here, because he's going to go on and say, the next thing he's going to say about, about the conscience is, he, is he's going to say, he's going to say, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. This is what he's pointing to here. He's pointing to the fact that, that the conscience, which may be fallen, but God is greater. God has provided the means. He has made the justification through Jesus Christ. Jesus turned away his wrath. He set us free. That's that's what he's wanting us to know here. He's saying, God is greater. Yes, you may feel guilt over your sin, but you're still forgiven. God is still there. God didn't throw you away. That's that's the idea that's being expressed here. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 13 uh, 13 through 16. And there is, no, uh, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are uncovered and laid bare to his eyes. For God, to whom we have an account to give, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the, the Son of God, let us take hold of our confession. For we do not have a high priest who, who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who was tempted in all things like us, yet was without sin. Therefore... Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. This is what, this is what John is saying here. He's saying, yes, there are times when you fail. Yes, there are times when the conscience may, may, uh, may tell you you have done wrong, may, may cause you to feel God is not there, but he is. That's what he's saying. He's saying because he's greater. He's greater than all things. John 10, 28 and 29 tells us that Jesus is the one who holds us in his very hand. And he goes on to tell us that God holds us in his hand. No one can break that grip. That's what he's wanting them to understand. No matter what your conscience is doing, God is greater. And God can, God can clean it up. He can correct it. We can be like Peter, and we are to be like Peter in this case, because what he is, what, what he is claiming, what Peter claimed in John chapter in John chapter 21, after his failure, and Jesus confronts him with, do you love me? And twice John responded that he did, and the third time he was asked, he just claims Jesus' all-knowing power. He says, Lord, you know all things. In other words, God knows his people. God knows each of you. He knows you individually. He knows where you really are. And if you're in his hand, you can't be taken out of it. That's what, that's what John is reassuring him here. He says, we have confidence before God. He'll say in verse 21. He says, because God is greater and he knows all things. He's greater than your conscience. He created it. He's greater. That's, that's what he wants him to understand. In these first verses, he's saying, look, here's where we, here's where we live. Uh, we, we know the truth, and that truth should assure our hearts. And even when our conscience is telling us we've done wrong, God who is greater still justified us. 
we we still hold that assurance. It's him who it's him who assures us, not us. It's him who gives the assurance. And then he go, he goes on and he wants to talk about our confidence before God in verses 21 uh, 21 and 22 and he says beloved if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever, we, what, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because he, keeps his, because he keeps his commandments. And we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is, this is the next part of the verse. And he says, he, he goes on and he says, Beloved, our hearts do not condemn us. Ver, uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, a great chapter. One I like to read frequently, quite frankly. But anyway, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 tells us, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to them in Jesus Christ. you understand that? There is no condemnation. God has removed it. No one can condemn you. Satan tries, but Jesus intercedes. That, that, that's, the, that's the point here. There is no condemnation. Verse 28, all things work together for good. No matter what is going on in your life, and no, and no matter how much you may not like it, God has purpose for it. I've long told uh, my classes that if uh, you're breathing, there's a reason. And you need to understand that. God has purpose for his people. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, God is the one in control. God is the one who has, has set the pace. And he says, if our hearts do not condemn us, which what he's saying here is that conscience that is cleaned by Jesus, he says, we, we then have we have confidence before him. He's talking to the living truth here, uh, the faith and obedience that drives away doubt, uh, that, force, uh, that, that, uh, that, that fires the guilt within us. He says the result is because that is removed in Christ Jesus, because that has been removed, we have confidence before God. Confidence is, a, is an interesting Greek word. Its origin not its non-scriptural origin, but its Greek classic Greek origin is it spoke of a of a full citizen of a Greek city-state. Talked it spoke of someone who had full citizenship within one of the Greek city-states, and what it implies, and what it implies is that citizen, because those those uh, Greek city-states, the ancient ones, were true democracies. Every citizen had the right to speak up. That's what it talks about. It's, this is the definition of free speech. That's, that's what this is. That's what this word is, and that's what this word comes to mean. We have the ability to speak before God. That's, that's what he's telling us here. That's the confidence. That's the origin of this word. Uh, it, we, can, we can speak before God. It also means, and it also directs us to have confidence in declaring his word as well. And in fact, uh, we see that a, a number of places in, in Scripture. In John 7, it speaks of Jesus speaking confidently. The, the, the crowds, the, the leadership of Israel is amazed at how confident he spoke in John chapter 7. In, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in Acts uh, 4, 13, and now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and comprehended that they were unlearned, unlearned and ordinary men, they were marveling and they began to recognize that they had been with Jesus. That, that's this word confidence. They had boldness 
To speak the truth, to speak out loud is the, is the idea here. The freedom to speak. And once again, Hebrews 4.16 tells us, let us draw near the throne of God with confidence. In other words, we can come before God's throne and speak openly to him. That's, that's what this is telling us. That's the idea here, that we can speak openly before God. The believer has the freedom to go to God in in prayer, confidently knowing that they have fellowship with God, the Father, and the Son, Jesus Christ, 1 John 1, 3. And uh, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. That's, That's what he's saying here. That's what he's telling us here. And then he goes on and he says, and with that, with the fact, with the fact uh, that we can come confidently into the throne room of God and we can speak openly to Him, He He has a little. He He then says, and whatever we ask from Him, um, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because He we keep His commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Now understand. This is a conditional promise. This promise does not say, you know, God, my dream car is a, 19, is a 1967 Cobra 427. Uh, I could go ask God for that, but I would probably never get it. One, I would probably kill myself if I drove it. Uh, but secondly, the reason I want it is because I want it, you know, and I, I once told my son, he said, what would you do with it if you had it? The things are worth about $2 million now, incidentally. But a, a, a classic one, one that's not been messed up. Uh, but he said, what would you do with it? And I said, I'd build a garage for it and I would keep it covered. And he says, well, what good is that? And I thought about that for a minute. And I go, yeah, I just want it because I want it. You know, it does, this doesn't talk about that. This doesn't talk about that. Uh, this talks about being within the will of God, and that's what you have to keep in mind when we come to this. This isn't fervently saying, I, need, I want this or I want that. You know, that's, that's not, this is not name it and claim it theology, uh, but it's, 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 it's a very true promise. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Receive is a present tense verb. It means we receive, not we will receive. It, it means we receive. Uh, the promise is certain because God... Uh, God says so in his word. Now, ultimately, it's what this says uh, in chapter 5, verse 14. John, John is going to write, And this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that, uh, that we have the request which, which, which we have asked from him. Now, that, that, John is going to repeat this idea here. And notice that the qualifier here, that it's, it has to be within his will. John fourteen thirteen. John 13, 14, uh, 13 and 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this will I'll do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Understand there's qualification there. Uh, and incidentally, this is not, uh, I've, I've heard this taught. It's heretical. But nevertheless, I've heard this taught, and I've heard people say this many times. 
You end your prayer with, in the name of Jesus, because that's the signature at the bottom of the check. That's absurd. That's not what this text is saying. This is saying that as we operate within the will of God, keeping his commandments, loving the brother, and all the things John is going to talk about here, God, Jesus answers our prayers. That's what he's saying here. He answers those prayers that are to keep those, to keep, keep the word of God flourishing, those things that are within the will of God for the life of you. Now that's, that's what he's saying here. Uh, that's, that's the important thing to understand. Uh, the promise is with qualification. He, he says not every, not every request is going to be granted, and, and the reason it's not going to be granted is James 4, verse 3, which is why I want a 427 Cobra. I want to consume it for my own lust. That's, that's why. I want it for my own pleasure, no other reason. It isn't going to further the kingdom of God. It isn't going to help me in any way. It isn't going to booster anything. I guess I could put I love Jesus on the bumper, but they don't have bumpers. So, you know, it's just something I would consume. And that, unfortunately, most of the time, that's what we ask for. And that's why we don't have it. KJV puts it, consume upon your own lust and and the LSV says, ask for wrong motives, our own pleasure, means the same thing. That's, that's the idea here. That's the idea here. Here, boldness arises because we know God and we ask according to his will. Therefore, we know he is going to hear and he, will, and he, and he, he, he hears and, the promise, and he promises to meet our needs. Philippians 4.19, my God will fulfill your needs according to his riches in, the, in glory in Christ. And he will do this because, and he tells us why. This is why he's going to do it. Because we keep his commandments. Because we are true to the word. We are doing the things he has called us to do. That's, that's why. He, he keeps... He is the power behind the ministry he's called us to. And we need to understand that. Uh, we, all, we all often talk about it being my ministry, which is okay, because you should feel possession of it. But all ministry came from the Holy Spirit through him. He placed you in the church. He gave you your giftedness. He gave you whatever job you have. He put you where he wanted you to be. And none of that makes you better or lesser than anybody else as long as you're obediently doing what he called you to do. That, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the point here. He says, if we keep his commandments, we're doing what Scripture tells us to do. And we do what is pleasing in his sight which means we're keeping his commandments, incidentally. Here the believer's boldness in prayer and assurance results from obedience to the word of God, which includes doing what pleases him. In other words, what he has called us to do. That's what pleases him. Uh, Confessing his son, Jesus Christ. Giving all glory to him. Uh, I I really, uh, since I've been at this church, I, I really appreciate the music ministry here. Uh, it's nice to have a choir, to be in a church with a choir again. And when I first was in a church, we had choirs, and it was just uplifting, and it it it's, it was glorious. And I, and I love I love the weekend the weeks when we have the choir. 
And when we sing together, and I, and I also, I'm, I'm a big fan of the doxology. Uh, for years and years, I was in churches that never sang it, and we sing it every week. And it's like, can we sing it again? But, you know, it's giving glory to God, those things. The teaching here is, is sound biblical doctrine. It's not, pl- it's not fluff. It's deep. It's rich. And that's what God has called us to do. Be, keep his commandments and do what is right in his sight. That's where our boldness to come, to, to glorify him. Chris the Maker in his, uh, his commentary said that. The Christian says this, The Christian fulfills God's command with a cheerful and expressive gratitude. John is saying that when we obey his command, we are doing what is pleasing to him. It is, it is simply following Jesus' example, John eight twenty nine. And it results in an obedience that is out of love. John chapter 15, verses 7 through 10. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his loves. These things I have spoken to you so that your joy may, uh, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. And here again, he is saying, he is saying the same thing. Ask and you will receive according to the will of God. That's, that's what he's saying. Uh, Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will, Father, in Gethsemane before the cross. And that's, that, that's what our prayer is to be, that we would, we would keep the will of God. And then he goes on and he, he talks about the result in all of this is an abiding communion with God in, in verses 23 through 24. And he says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he gave us commandment, uh, gave commandment to us. And that the one who keeps his commandment abides in him, and he in him. We know this, that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he gave us. So here he, he brings this chapter, which predominantly was about loving your brethren, and he says this, and this is the commandment. Here's the commandment that he's given to you. Here's the commandment you are to obey. He says, that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, his Son, and love one another. He, he sums up the law. Jesus gave us two commandments in Matthew, in Matthew 22, 30, uh, 37 through 39, uh, where, he, where he summarized the law. And verse 37 said, you'll love the Lord, the Lord your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then in 39, he said, and the second was like this, is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. John just encapsulated it in one. He says, love God and love your brother. That's the commandment. You're to love God with all your heart and you're to love your brother. That's what this, that's what this says. Uh, John reduced it to a single commandment, to believe in the name of Jesus, to love one another. Uh, he uses two verbs here, to, to believe and to love. Uh, the first, uh, and this is incidentally the first time in, John, in 1 John he used the word believe. Uh, 
He uses faith a lot. He uses some other words, but this is the first time he uses the word believe. And he says, he, <clears throat> he says, believe. And as, as it's used here, it speaks of, it speaks of a point in time. It, point, it speaks to that moment when you met Jesus Christ. Believe in him. That's what he says. Uh, that's, you're to come to that point where you believe in him. It's where you, you exercise faith and you, and you place you place all your trust in Jesus Christ. And, and he, he, he says, he is to be the object of your faith. And he gives the, the, his name and he says, Jesus Christ. Uh, he's, he's, he points to the fact that he is to be both Savior and Lord. He is Jesus, the Son of Man. And he is Christ, the Son of God. That's the point. He is the divine man. That's what he is, he is wanting us to know. In the context, in the context of 1 John... And in the Gnostic thought, uh, they said he wasn't that. But John is pointing us back to that point. That's what he's driving home here. Understand who Jesus is and put your faith, trust, and hope completely in him. 1 John 4.2, he says, By this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ it does not confess Jesus is not from God. This spirit is the spirit of Antichrist from which you have heard that is coming but is now already in the world. John, rather than saying heretics and false teachers and false prophets, calls them Antichrist. Uh, he's not talking about the Antichrist. He's talking about every heretic and every false teacher. That's who they are. They're Antichrist. They are opposed to Christ. And he is saying, that's not who we are to be. We're to be pro-Christ. We are to be, we are to be the ones that understand who he is, what he did, did. We're to have a full understanding of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. We are to understand that God in, became incarnate. That Jesus Christ laid aside all his prerogatives as God, was found in the, for, in the fashion of a man, born as a child, raised in a family, lived a perfect life, died a, a sacrificial, vicarious death for you and me, was buried, was raised on the third day, triumphant over, the death, over death in the grave, and is currently seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for me and for you. And that one day he is going to call all of us home, and shortly thereafter, the world will pay the price for having rejected him in the great tribulation. And ultimately, Israel will be redeemed. And then at the close of that seven years, we all return with him to establish the millennial kingdom, which will eventuate into eternity in which we will live forever in the presence of our God. That's what we are to understand. That's what we're to believe. That's what we are to hold to. That's this first word, believe. The second verb, love, is, is agapo again. It's a sacrificial love. It's not a feeling. It's an act of the will. I choose to love you. Regardless of how unlovely I might be. <laughs> that's, that's the idea here. I choose to do so. And I do it as an act of my will. It's present tense, which means that it's habitual. I don't just do it when it's convenient, 
It's my lifestyle. That's, that's what it's saying here. This is how I conduct my life. That's, that's what he wants us, to, uh, wants us to understand. Galatians 6.10 tells us that we're to express love to all men, but especially to the household of faith. John 13, uh, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. That's a pretty high standard, incidentally. Uh, I think we read through that and we don't think much about it. How did Jesus love you? He died for you. There's a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you, love, um, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Uh, that's, that's the standard. That he's, that he's calling us to here. He's saying that we would love one another. We would believe in faith, and we would demonstrate that belief in loving our fellow Christians. It's an indispensable part uh, of the Christian life. And then here is the great promise. He says, he goes on to say in verse 24, and the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know this, that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he gave us. He says, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him. Abide is a word that means to stay or to remain. And it carries a very special idea in Scripture. It carries the idea of being at home. This says, I'm at home with Jesus. And he's at home with me. That, that's the idea that's being expressed here that we be at home with our Lord, and our Lord is at home with us. Uh, It's the place of comfort and safety and protection and warmth and love. That's that's the idea that he wants wants us to understand here. Uh, The English theologian Vernable Beattie said this, Let God then be at home for you, and you be the home the home of God. Remain in God and let God remain in you. That's what this text is saying. Be at home. And then he gives us the how. Uh, we know this, that he abides in us by the Spirit who, who he gave us. Incidentally, this is John's first use of the Holy Spirit in this book, and he will use him from now on through chapters 4 and 5. Uh, but here is the, the first time he mentions him. Uh, the he in this verse is uh, really not, this is one of those places where you can't say, well, the he relates to God, no, the he relates to Jesus. It could relate to either one of them, and it doesn't really matter because it relates to both of them. Uh, it, it's the idea that the Father works through the Son, and through the Son, uh, through the, son the Father uh, lives in us. Here John says the Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, is, is the one that... that indwells us, that testifies to this fact, that gives us the inner knowledge of knowing that we are in Christ because the Spirit of God tells us so. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, the Spirit is the one, and I just uh, here just briefly go through a little bit of, of pneumatology, and is, is simply this. The Spirit is the one who made us spiritually alive in Romans 8, 9. He is the one who gave sight to the blind, 
and called the sinners to repent in John 3, uh, 5 through 8, and Titus uh, 3, 5, also Acts 16, 14. He, he, drew, he drew the sinner to Jesus in faith, 1 Peter 1, 12. How did, why did you come to God? Because the Holy Spirit went and got you and brought you to him. That's, that's the truth here. That's the truth. And he placed the believer in the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. You're a member of the body of Christ because the Spirit put you there. That's, that's what this is saying. And then, and then he, he's, the one who play, uh, he's the one who gifted believers with ministry. Whatever ministry gifts you have, whatever abilities you have to serve God, are a result that the Spirit gave those to you. There's no pride in that. We're all equal. We just have different functions. That's, that's the idea here. He placed you where he wanted you to be in the body and gifted you to serve the body in that capacity. And then he goes on and he he says, he's the one who illuminates and instructs the believers in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 2.10 and 14, Ephesians 6.17. You understand, he's your real teacher. He's the one that makes our minds able to comprehend the word of God. Those of us who teach are just to help facilitate that. Uh, There's no real pride in that. We're just... We're just assistants in the process. It's the Spirit's work. He's the one who, who causes your mind to be able to grasp and understand the truth of Scripture. He energizes the believer's prayer, Ephesians 6, 8, Jude 20. He intercedes. He's the one who has the groanings and utterances that takes my feeble prayers and makes them co- uh, coherent before God, ultimately, is, is the idea here. He intercedes for the believer in Romans eight twenty six and 27. He leads and guides. He's the one who leads and guides us in our submission to the Spirit. He directs us. He directs our steps. Uh, Romans eight fourteen, And he assures believers that they are the children of God. He testifies to our spirit that we are his children. Romans eight fifteen and 16, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. The context of this, of, this, of this remaining verses in this chapter is, is that the believers are assured because they live, they live a life that practices Christianity both in deed and, and in truth. They do what they've been called to do because they have God, because God has cleansed their conscience and, and provides confidence that we can come before him and gives us the ability to do his will because we believe in the name of Jesus and we believe that he is God come in the flesh and, 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 what he is, and, and we have the abiding spirit in us to lead, guide, and teach and direct us. Uh, that's what John is saying to us here. He says, be at home with your God so he can be at home with you. Let's pray. Father God, as, we, as we've looked at this text today, uh, may the truth be embedded in our minds by your Spirit this morning. May we understand clearly what John is telling us here, what the Spirit wants us to know, uh, that we understand that we are assured of who we are in Christ Jesus, uh, that we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, that we have been called into service to do his will, and he provides all of our needs to do so. All we have to do is ask.
And, and, and Father, that he would call us to love one another. Uh, that this would be a habitual lifestyle. That our life would be that we are deeply concerned with our brother's needs. Uh, and that we sacrificially give to provide those and help in whatever help we can give. And that we, that we obediently serve Christ in the capacity the, ser- the Spirit has called us to do. That we are, even in this life, at home with Jesus. And Jesus is at home with us. And we would thank you and we would praise you in his glorious name. Amen.